Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Earrings Off. We want to invite you to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. You can find us on Facebook at Earrings Off Podcast and on Instagram at The Earrings Off Podcast. Welcome to Earrings Off. I'm Lou. And I'm Teresa. Let's get started. Good morning. Hello. We are here today with Dr. Clifton Pei, an ophthalmologist who's agreed to speak with us. We are excited to have him. Welcome, Dr. Pei. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for inviting me, and congratulations on your one-year anniversary. Thank you. We're excited about that. Yeah. We want to get started with you um, sharing a bit about the differences between um, an ophthalmologist and an okay, an ophthalmologist. I'll start with the uh, the the latter one first. Okay. Uh, the optometrist is a training that's conferred on someone who either attends a four-year university, attains a four-year university degree, or maybe not, and they attend what's called a school of optometry. And the school of optometry trains them to do the basics of an eye exam. They learn how to measure uh, people for corrective lenses or contact lenses. They also learn how to recognize certain disease states within their limit. And at the completion of that four-year training, they may do another year as an extended year, or they may not, but most are eligible for licensure as a licensed optometrist, meaning they're limited to just the treatment of refractive disorders of the eyes, and then some have what's called a limited license where they can do some minimal things, but nothing surgical. And their final degree is called a OD, optometric doctor. Whereas the ophthalmologist is an MD who he or she attends college. Uh, after finishing college, they take the medical college examination called the MCAT. They go to a four-year medical school. After completing medical school, they complete either a surgical or medical internship. And then following that, they will complete their specialty training in ophthalmology, much like medical students who opt to become dermatologists or become neurologists or radiologists. The ophthalmologist is in the same specialty track, and their career choice is based on becoming an ophthalmologist. And as I mentioned, our training is surgical and medical diseases of the eye okay. and the surrounding structures around the eye. Okay. All right. So can you talk to us a bit, Dr. Pay, about some causes of vision loss? Sure. I can do that. Would you mind if I just mentioned my background, if you don't oh, mind? Is that possible? I, 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 oh. I didn't answer that part. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a graduate of Howard University College of Pharmacy where I practiced pharmacy for two years, and then I attended medical school at the University of Buffalo. I completed a medical internship at the University of Buffalo, and I subsequently trained at the University of Michigan Kellogg Eye Center for Ophthalmology, which is, I'm proud to say, one of the uh, top uh, 10 ophthalmology programs in the United States. And uh, while there, I developed a special interest in glaucoma, as well as a special interest in uh, cataract surgery. So mm-hmm. my prime interest is uh, 
glaucoma and cataract surgery, and also uh, medical diseases of the anterior or the front portion of the eye. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. Yeah, excellent. So what about some causes of vision loss, Dr. Pei? Well, there are numerous causes of vision loss, and you have to look at it from age, demographic. Uh, you have to look at it from health status. You have to look at it from is there any related history of certain medications that can cause visual loss? So there's a whole plethora of vision loss that can be based either neurologic, cardiovascular, optic really? nerve involvement, rectal involvement, or systemic involvement, like in the case of high blood pressure, hypertension, as well as diabetes, or induced by medications such as prednisone or steroids which can cause visual changes. Or even the new drug that you've heard so much about, chloroquine, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. unfortunately did not receive a full airing that it has been linked or some association with retinal toxicity. Mm -hmm. So everyone who's on chloroquine has to have a eye exam on a regular basis to make sure there's no retinal damage from that chloroquine drug used in treatment of some of the, what we call connective tissue disorders. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I've always known about, you know, you take a medication, there are potential for side, of, side effects and effects, there are risks, but I never thought about vision loss. And um, in, when you think about taking a medication, that possibly being impacted. I just never thought about that. So that's, that's good information. Well, and, and that's why we have to look at age as well, too. Because yeah. not only... I neglected to mention structural changes. For instance, brain tumors mm. can also is a cause of visual loss, which is why it's so important that an ophthalmologist has the appropriate medical training in order to link systemic health with vision loss and not just look at it as in the case of our you know, other colleagues, the opticians or the optometrists who have a very limited medical training. Right. And they're limited in what their scope of uh, uh, training and certification allows them to do. Okay. okay. Wow. Uh, that's some interesting stuff. Um, can you talk, talk a little bit about what exactly is glaucoma and how does it impacts, uh, impact one's ability to see and what are some of the options to avoid it and even to treat it? Glaucoma, we've defined as a neuropathy. And it's amazing how the definition of glaucoma has changed, changing so much, almost in uh, in real time. Really, and I say that, and I say that because we thought of glaucoma as being a nerve damaging process of the optic nerve. And when we look at the anatomy of the eye, we compartmentalize the eye in what we call the front surface and a back surface. And the front surface of the eye consists of the cornea, the colored part of the eye, the iris. And that's considered the front, or we use the term anterior, and the back surface, which is considered the lens of the eye, and the retina, and the optic nerve. Well, glaucoma is characterized by generally three things. Nerve damage, as identified by uh, anatomic measurements, raised or elevated eye pressure, we call it intraocular pressure, or IOP, and finally, a loss of your peripheral field of vision. And the glaucoma can precede vision loss without any awareness that the person has signs of vision loss. 
So it's a silent disease that targets certain population groups. People who have a family history of glaucoma, people of African lineage, people with a history of diabetes, or again, certain kinds of medication that people have a genetic predisposition. When challenged with that medication, they will show rise or elevated intraocular pressure, causing structural nerve damage to the optic nerve, causing what we call a neuropathy of the optic nerve mm. or mm. optic nerve damage. Mm. Mm. Wow. So, Dr. Pei, what should the average adult be doing to better monitor their eye health? So, what lifestyle changes do you make? Well, we now, as I mentioned earlier about real time, we've recognized the close association between general health and eye health. Because when we think about it, the eye has a serious metabolic or demand for oxygen and blood flow. And so the very things that allow us as a human being to live a high quality of life are the same types of lifestyle and dietary intake we should be about. For instance, we now know that a healthy diet consisting of certain greens, certain vegetables, certain what we call omega-3s, and has an important role with eliminating a lowering retinal nerve damage. We know that sleep deprivation or sleep uh, sleeping disorders has a high risk of causing a diminished oxygen state, which causes nerve damage. We know that poor diabetic and poor high blood pressure control can also contribute to uh, vision loss. So we now know that there is a strong link between your health status and your visual health. And you can't ignore either. In mm -hmm. fact, we now recommend for certain population groups in genetic history that a certain category of eye supplements be taken to ward off or prevent what we call macular degeneration. Mm -hmm. So there's a strong now established link between your systemic health and your eye health. Mm -hmm. In fact, not only is it a strong link, we now know that by viewing the status of the eye, it creates a predictive model of what the status of the health is in the other major organs, the heart and the kidney. So by the ophthalmologist looking in the eye, they can give some assessment in terms of status of the kidneys and, and heart status by just evaluating the, uh, the blood vessel pattern in the retina. Hmm. Okay. okay. That's interesting. It is. How often should we see an ophthalmologist? Well, I think it's to start at preschool age. Really? And the, re the reason for preschool age is because you're looking at making sure that the child has visual, uh, normal visual status, and the child will not be impaired uh, academically by having some kind of visual disorder that can be corrected, and that child be categorized as having some other kind of learning disability right, right. when the issue is simply just a problem that needed corrective lenses. And then again, contingent on whether your health status, where your health status is, if you're a diabetic, a yearly exam, if you're hypertensive, yearly exam, if your diabetes or high blood pressure is poorly controlled, more frequently. If you're a general person who has no major other, and if you're over 60, 65, perhaps yearly. 
if you have no other kinds of problems, then I think you can have that probably every two years. Okay. That's interesting because with most, most insurances, they recommend you go just see the um, optometrist. When, you know, now I'm thinking that is such, that, that is so misleading and can lead you, can, you can end up with some serious issues just seeing, you know, just seeing an optometrist. Well, what the optometrist scope of training allows them to do a basic eye exam. Uh-huh. And if after performing a basic eye exam and anything is found abnormal, outside of their scope of training, it should be incumbent on the optometrist to refer that patient to an ophthalmologist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with, with glaucoma being one of those silent um, diseases, would they be able to spot that in its early stages? They can spot some glaucomas in their early stages, recognizing there are various types of glaucoma. Mm-hmm. The most common type of glaucoma in the Western Hemisphere is called open angle. But there uh-huh. are a lot of other kinds of glaucomas, inflammatory glaucoma, angle closure glaucoma, uh, and I, the list goes on. But I think on the safe side, family history is important. Okay. And I think that the optometrists, uh, by scope of their training uh, and comfort level, it would be recommended that they refer a patient with a suspected history of glaucoma, family history of glaucoma, systemic disorders, to an ophthalmologist for definitive treatment and evaluation. Okay. So, um, Dr. Pei, tell us about what you are looking for in layman's terms of what you're measuring during the actual eye exam. Well, during the eye exam, what you're actually looking for, you're looking for, one, you want to obtain a comprehensive general history of the patient to understand why they're there, what the complaints are, and your exam should be general, but it should be focused on what that person's uh, list of complaints are. So you begin your exam by assessing their current visual status, Mm -hmm. how well they can see. And seeing is not simply having someone looking at the Snellen chart, that chart that you read from. It's even doing what we call a side or visual field test because vision is actually measured or it constitutes several things true vision constitutes your central vision reading the chart your side vision we call a peripheral field of vision your color vision your contrast vision how well you can contrast things and even depth perception all that constitutes what we call vision but most people are really focused on reading the chart but it's the duty of the ophthalmologist is to begin the exam by assessing those aspects, then checking the status of the front part of the eye, then evaluating the back portion of the eye, the, the, the lens and the retina, and making sure those structures are normal. And if not normal, then planning a treatment course of what needs to be done. But you always want to try to improve and optimize one's vision uh, during that course of the examination mm-hmm. with the use of corrective lenses, mm-hmm. if possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So, Dr. Page, just tell me this. So, I've heard of instances, I think when I went, when I was in law school, there was a gentleman who had, I guess, undiagnosed diabetes and vision 
it went fairly instances of that that can happen absolutely because remember as i talked earlier about the the eye is an extension of the entire body mm -hmm. the eye is an extension of the brain it has its own separate blood supply its own oxygen demand it's regulated by the amount of uh activity of glucose or sugar and so when you have elevated blood sugar levels that changes the diameter and causes the structures in the eye to swell or become edematous and that in turn changes one's visual status and so then it becomes incumbent on the person with diabetes to maintain a normal level of blood sugar control in order for their vision to become improved again failure to control the diabetes causes the retina to become deprived of oxygen and that leads to a whole cascade of things that can result in visual loss that can be permanent including things like cataracts including things like retinal disease from diabetes mm -hmm. and so all these things are critical in the management of someone with diabetes and high blood pressure you mentioned your other specialty was um, cataracts can you talk a little bit about cataracts and just tell us what it is sure thank you uh, cataract is a kind of a misnomer but it's been in the language for so long we call that cataract remember i mentioned earlier that the anatomy of the eye can be subdivided into what we call the front portion of the eye and the back portion of the eye the front portion of the eye again uh, is the cornea and the colored part of the eye the iris the back portion of the eye is called the lens and the retina and the optic nerve the lens and the cornea both work to project images from the exterior world into the inner part of the eye called the retina. When the lens loses its focusing ability because it becomes hazy, opaque, or cloudy, and it loses its natural transparency, we call that loss of transparency is called cataract. So when that opacity or cloudiness occurs because of degeneration, and the person's visual status is impaired or they're unable to engage in their occupational interests or lifestyle activities then it's necessary to consider a different course of action that is a surgical correction for the uh, cataract removal mm -hmm. and what's beautiful in this timeline that we live here we live in there are replacement lenses that can be inserted after removal of the cataract through a very small three millimeter incision without stitches. Wow. And these implants come in different categories. They correct pre-existing astigmatism. They correct one who may have been nearsighted for all their life or farsighted. And it can now restore one's vision to complete vision correction without ever requiring the need for glasses in about 80 to 95% of people who have what we call the multifocal implant. So suddenly someone who's worn glasses their life who's got cataract can suddenly have the vision status of a very young person. Wow. Okay. So what should people expect after cataract surgery in terms of the recovery period? Well, it's outpatient procedure. It's the most commonly performed procedure in America. Some nearly Six million people will undergo cataract surgery in this calendar year. Uh, again, the procedure 
is a relatively safe procedure. So at the conclusion of the procedure, after giving implant uh, technology placed, placed, we put a patch or shield over the eye to protect the eye in the immediate post-operative period for the first 24 hours. Then we recommend antibiotic eye drops and antibiotic anti-inflammatory eye drops to prevent post-operative inflammation and post-operative infection. We do recommend some limit to not excessive activity, but to engage in some mild to moderate activity. Mm -hmm. And the intent of that is to limit and prevent any kind of post-operative complications. And usually within a week, someone's pretty much back to their regular level of activity. And of course, we only do one eye at a time. Antibiotic therapy, protection during the post-operative period with the shield during the times when one is asleep, either day or at nighttime, and the use of uh, uh, antibiotic eye drops and antibiotic and anti-inflammatory eye drops to prevent and ward off infection. And usually the person is seeing very well within several days after the procedure. Wow. Okay. Okay. Dr. Pay, those are all of the questions we have for you. Thank you so much for, um, for speaking with us. And I wanted to know if there's anything you want to share with our listeners, since you certainly are um, quite accomplished in your area. Any parting words you just want to share um, that would serve to educate listeners about their eye health. Well, I want to thank you again for extending the invite to me to be on your podcast and again congratulate you on your success to date. Okay. Uh, I'd like to just emphasize again that uh, I, like most other ophthalmologists, are board certified in our specialty. And I think you always want to make sure that your ophthalmologist has a board certification. You want to make sure that your ophthalmologist is trained at a very reputable institution. Mm -hmm. and has the experience uh, from that institution and from private practice. We've been engaged in our private practice for nearly 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so we're very proud of our support that we've given to our patients. And we're very proud of the fact that we've given our patients and enabled them to have a legacy of good health, good eye health, and um, hope and pray that they will continue to enjoy their uh, vision as we have made it our primary uh, uh, vocation. So again, thank you very much. Well, and thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, thank you.